Hey everybody, I'm doing something a bit different in this episode. Today's guest, Maya Chupkoff, has a podcast called Proud Stutter, and I'm leaving this interview largely raw and unedited to honor and preserve the beautiful speech pattern we call stuttering, including those heard from my guest and even from myself. So please enjoy the episode. I didn't really get a huge spike after that QED story came out, but what I did get was like 30 emails saying they listened to me, they have a stutter too. So it's the emails and the people reaching out on social media. And that's how I measure success is like, who's sending me notes about like how this changed their life. So yeah, that's really how I, look at success is through the emails I get. And I, I would say that the the most spike I ever got was appearing on Apple Podcasts out on their home page. After that, I consistently have seen a lot more traction. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today we are chatting with Maya Chupkoff, the host of the Proud Stutter podcast. She's been doing this podcast since October 2021, with over 37 episodes published. And in such a short time, she already has been featured in over 60 media outlets, Apple's podcast New and Noteworthy, The Guardian's Top 5 Podcast of the Week list, and on NPR. Maya has a master's in public affairs, and professionally, she's focused on changing the world for the better for people who stutter. Welcome to the show, Maya. Thanks for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. Awesome. Well, today I want to learn all your podcast growth tips. But first, tell us a little bit about your podcast, Proud Stutter. What's it about? Proud Stutter is a podcast about telling nuanced stuttering stories from people who stutter. And it's really about shifting the existing narrative around stuttering that tends to kind of classify stuttering as something negative or something that's a butt of a, a joke, but really stuttering is just a different way of speaking. And so it's, it's really meant to normalize stuttering, to hear from people from all over the, the the world about their stuttering experience. That's awesome. And yeah, I've been listening to some of your episodes and you're totally right. It I learned so many so much new things around studying that I stuttering that I never knew before. So how is someone defined as someone who, who has stuttering? Yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot of definitions out there. I I'm sure that the 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 medical field has um a de- a, de- a definition and certain characterizations but i like to de- define stuttering as a form of verbal diversity and um stuttering can include 
like prolongations of certain sounds or repeating consonants like I just did there. Um, And then also blocking, which I think is probably one of the most misunderstood parts of stuttering. Some stuttering can, you're, you're literally trying to speak and then you can't get a word out. And so that there's this silence. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people try to talk around that block or they just try to, you know, push it through it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my definition of of stuttering, which I'm still working on (laughs) because I too learn a lot from just hosting this show. So obviously really brave to start a a podcast, which is an audio format with, um, stuttering. Is that, is that kind of why you did it or? Yeah, I think when the idea came to me or was shared with me, I really felt that it was a great opportunity to kind of flip audio on its head and really just kind of, you know, share with the world that smooth speech that you might normally hear on like the radio and and stuff. And a lot of those techniques taught in schools of, 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 of people that want to do radio and broadcasting that they there is still being taught like this smooth speech way of talking. But what's really awesome about podcasting is there's so much variety and the, the more like, like there's just so many podcasts out there that I love that are not so like rigid and like edited, like to perfection, but it's really nice to kind of hear the authenticity in podcasting. And that's really what, proud stutter is all about. That's interesting. So as you're getting better at the craft of podcasting, do you try to sort of control the stutter at all, or you just kind of normalize it in your recordings? In my recordings, I actually, it's not like I can really control my stutter, but I do allow myself to stutter more freely during my podcast recording sessions, because that's like, that's all, that's me. That's like my authentic self. And mm-hmm. ever since I was little, I tried to train myself to like not stutter and like navigate around it. And so a lot of the podcasting is like, I have to kind of unlearn all these kind of automatic responses to my stutter. And so there, you, you might hear some episodes where I sound fluent and I don't stutter like barely. And then there's other times where I'm having just a really disfluent day. And actually today is one of those days. I've just been like stuttering a lot today. So yeah, it just, it's what's, what's kind of wild about stuttering is just for me, at least it's so unexpected and I can have really fluent days and then days where I'm just stuttering a lot. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned from listening to a couple of your episodes. I've heard it from get your guests too, where they say, oh, it depends on the day. And that's so interesting. That's something I it just never occurred to me before. And you're right. I met you. I first met you just to give some context. I first met you at Podcast Movement. Um, and yeah, I did not know you had a stutter. Um, and yeah, I was surprised when I heard your story that, there, you know, uh, you have this show and that you do stutter. So um, 
Do you find that the more you did the podcast and even it being called Proud Stutter, it's funny that you're saying you're unlearning some of the things, uh, you know, to help you cope with it, I guess. I don't even know. By the way, I don't even know if I'm using the right words. <laughs> you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're fine. Um, is it hard to unlearn? Yes. Yes, because I was taught like my whole life that stuttering was something that 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 was that I needed to get rid of. I was put in speech therapy at a very young age, and the speech therapist was all about hiding the stutter. Um, and so I realized through speech therapy is a lot of the techniques they taught me were like, contributing to like hiding my my personality almost and so what I realized is like when I don't focus so much on hiding my stutter and using those techniques because one of those techniques is literally I sound like a robot (laughs) so (laughs) no one wants to sound like a robot and so Mm -hmm. I'd rather stutter and because that's kind of where my personality shines in my opinion now Mm -hmm. and when I try to hide it I just it's it just doesn't feel authentic in myself Mm. so has this practice of unlearning I hate to say the word like the coping techniques is that something you're bringing into the real world too or just kind of keeping it in the podcast Uh, I try to 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 carry it in the real world and Yes, I know this, the show is called Proud Stutter, but I have my frustrating days where I'm like, let's say leading a meeting and I'm, I literally can't get words out and it's Mm. frustrating. And like in that moment, I'm not, I just kind of wish that my speech was a little more, um, more articulate, I guess. But at the end of the day, like stuttering has given me so much like it's giving me this community that I just love and it's giving me given me such a huge a huge like I am such an empathetic person and I feel that has led me to where I'm at now professionally like a lot of what I do in my day job is around coalition building and and community organizing and you need to like be able to build trust with people. And I feel like my ability to really empathize with people really helps me in that, in that way. Hmm. That's really awesome. Yeah. And I want to get to what you do in your professional life. And um, it's just so interesting to me, this subject, because I feel like, you know, I, I can't, I, I wouldn't do it just as if I said I had to start it, but I think ever since I've been podcasting, I've been way more aware that I might have it because, you know, some of the programs that we use, we we literally see what we're uh, saying on screen in words. And I'm seeing a lot of repeating words that, um, you know, if you've been podcasting for any amount of time, they teach you to edit that stuff out. So... I mean, even teach me a little bit, like I want to do honor, you know, I want to do, you know, be respectful to this conversation. Um, When you're on other podcasts, do you appreciate it when they edit it or do they, do you just appreciate it when they keep it raw? Yeah. um, So yeah, I have been on quite a few podcasts 
a lot of them have been like stuttering related ones. So that that's like kind of never something that we kind of have to talk about is kind of just like, yeah, it's understood, but on non-stuttering podcasts, usually they ask me like how they, like how I want the episode edited. And like, I'm always like, just edit how you normally edit, but just keep in the stuttering as much as you can, because that's like, as, as at least for me, because that's really what, why I'm doing the the podcast in the first place is to just normalize it. And the more people hear stuttering on all these different podcasts, that's really the goal. And so the goal of go, of going on all these podcasts and speaking at all these events, it's not for me. It's really just to like have people list, like hear stuttering more and more. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. Yeah, happy to keep it in uh, the stuttering. And and when I first met you at Podcast Movement, I was really impressed because I think we talked a lot about PR. And I think that's probably going to be one of the main topics we're going to be talking about in this episode of PR and how that relates to podcasters. But before we dive into that, I listening to a couple of your episodes, I noticed you started inviting a co-host onto the show. Do you do that? Have you done that from the beginning? No. And I love this new format because in the first season, I had my best friend Cynthia as a co-host and she didn't stutter. So having that like outside and inside perspective just really worked well. And people liked having someone that didn't stutter to kind of learn along the way. And so it really opened up the audience to both people who stutter and people who don't stutter. And so for season two, Cynthia did not stay on for season two. And we like, I knew that was going to happen. This was only meant to be like a, you know, one season thing. And it'd be like a fun thing that we, we both do. And then I just like fell so in love with it that now I'm like going to do it for for as long as I can. And I did a listener survey and a lot of people liked having that, the outside perspective. So I, and as a growth hack too, (laughs) I I thought like, how can I collaborate with other podcasters as well and get them to share more about the show? And so every episode I invite a co-host that doesn't stutter to help me interview the person who stutters. And I've invited like, I think like seven podcasters I met at podcast movement and other things to help me in the interview. And not only do they learn a lot too, they're able to share it with their folks and I'm able to share their show with my listeners. And so that's another really awesome growth hack is just making space for those collaborations so you can increase your audience. Yeah. I mean, that's why I asked about it. I thought this so clever when I saw you doing it. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's intentionally doing this to kind of like double the ROI on each episode almost. Because not only do you get the guest that's probably sharing it with their friends, but yeah, of course you get the co-host too. That's so smart. Um, yeah. And I'm very intentional with like who I invite. 
like there has to be that like vibe there that I'm like feeling like this person will vibe really well with not not the specific stutter but like there has it can't just be about money for example when someone's doing a podcast it's like really easy to see like why they're doing it and and I know some people do to do it and make money and that's fine but I really try to pick the podcasters that do have this like mission driven or some like community cause I don't know like something that Mm. can vibe well with with stuttering that's cool so it's often a podcaster than that you invite as a co-host not really I'd say maybe half of season two is podcasters and the other half is just like you know my fiance was was (laughs) (laughs) one and then I had a friend and someone I met at like an an event that I was just like I like you. Can you be on my show? So it's it's very <laughs> intuitive. Okay, that's cool. By the way, the fiance episode that was a great one. You you um, interviewed a young lady, and I learned so much from it. Really awesome one. So yeah, that's a great growth hack. Great way to segue into the growth hacks. <laughs> yeah. um, that one I might have to steal. Right when I heard you doing that, I'm like, whoa! I should I need to do this. I need to invite <laughs> a co-host on podcast growth hacks to you know join in. Yes. On yeah. <laughs> it's such a good idea. I love it. I don't know why I've never seen that before. <laughs> so let's talk about PR. So what's your, what's your maybe first your educational background? How'd you get good in PR? Yeah. So it has nothing to do with what I studied under <laughs> grad. Well, I did study professional writing. So I think that really helped me to develop my skills as a writer, which is great. And I really kind of bumped, I really bumped that in all my in interviews, like that I had this like writing degree. And so I think that's how I got a job in PR. Initially, I got an internship and then I just started doing a PR. I didn't really like it but it was just something I fell into. And once you're in a PR, it's really hard to, to leave. At least that that's what I thought it was. And so I did a PR for like, I want to say six-ish years. And I was so miserable that I ended up leaving, going to grad school to do master's in public affairs and then went mm-hmm. into more like non-profit type of mission-driven strategic communications. And then now I'm doing policy. So I realized like after grad school that I didn't want to do comms anymore. And so I knew that I eventually wanted to have a job where I was doing policy advocacy and coalition building. And so now I'm doing that. And yeah, I learned a lot of very great skills doing in PR and they, they like ingrained in you. So now it's like second nature. And I think that's why I've been able to be so successful as a podcaster, because I was able to apply all that knowledge to my own thing and doing PR for something that isn't your thing is a lot harder. And so I just felt it was just so natural to just do it. 
Yeah, and I want to dive into all your PR tactics. And for those who don't know, what does PR even stand for? Yeah, so my there's a lot of different PR, but the one that I'm kind of specialized in is earn media. So how to get how to get your stories into major news outlets, whether it's like your local newspaper or the the New York Times, like that's kind of um that's that was my spe- specialization in in P- PR. And when you say earned media, that's in contrast to something like paid then, right? Yeah. So there was other areas where it was more like paid marketing, pay, pay to play, but earned media was just my world for like years and years. That's great. Because uh, I think for those who don't know, I think earned media usually means something you're kind of getting for free, right? So which is yes. really good, really relevant to the world of podcasts where, you know, a lot of you know, podcasters' budgets are pretty small. So you use a lot of PR for Proud Stutter? Yes. The first year of Proud Stutter, I dedicated so much of my time to just getting on the radar of as many like newsletters, newspapers, local media, national. I was just always pitching them stories on different things. So if there was an episode that was around like musician or like music, I had my like list of music newspaper, you know, like outlets, and I would just pitch them that specific episode. And so there'd be like episode specific pitches. And of course, and so I'm, I'm happy to kind of go through like the, the five steps of how to do PR in the best way for not the most money, if that, if that would be helpful. Yes. I'd love to hear it. That'd be super helpful. (laughs) Okay. So the first step is to create a media list of like all the the possible outlets that you want to pitch to. This can take some time. So um, I don't expect people to like have, a media list ready in like one day or even one, one week. It's kind of so, something that is a living, breathing thing. And as you see more stories that's cover your like area, you can keep building that list. But it's really good to have like one central database with like p- potential jur- journalists that might cover you in the, the future. So that's step one. Step two is having. Can I ask questions through these steps? That'll yes. Help. I'll you know I'll I'll be the voice of the um, clueless audience here, <laughs> uh, which I play that role quite quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so, how big should this list be? What's a healthy list? Is it like thirty journalists, or is it actually the outlet itself? So, what I always start with is just local media. So Mm -hmm. I live in San Francisco and a lot of times local media want to feature local people doing cool things. Mm -hmm. So that is probably the best way to start is just literally Google like local media in my city. Um, And then from there you, you can search like which journalists are covering maybe 
topics that could relate to your show. So for me, um, there was, there's, um, there was, there's three, I think, yeah, three local media outlets I was featured in and it's really, I just sent them an email and I had a really well-written pitch that wasn't long. And I really tailored it to what they usually cover. And so some journalists cover like arts and culture or um, stories about people in the community. And so you really have to just get a sense of who's writing what and what would fit well in what they're writing based on their past articles. Mm -hmm. And when you say like, let's say you're creating that list for the media in your city, I take it that's newspapers, like radio, radio is like TV even, or is that just out yeah. of reach? TV. Yeah. I, I p- pitched a TV station. I got on there. Um, and also there's a lot of like local independent media that's like digital only. So that there might be like a new independent media outlet that you might not know because it's not mainstream, but those are usually the people that are the most hungry and you might be able to have better luck in like a digital only outlet than like the big newspaper in your city. Got it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Cool. So step one, create a list. Yes. And step two is a comms calendar. So what a comms calendar is, is it's another list, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's a list of like holidays or events or like awareness months that relate to your topic. And so for stuttering, like every year there's two major holidays for stuttering and that's the second week of March or no, second week of May and October 22nd. And so I always have like, that's my busiest time because that's usually when I can get the most media is if it's attached to one of those big holidays. Is that why you started your podcast on October? Yes. <laughs> oh, interesting. And, and yeah. did people pick it up right away even with yes. very little? No way. Wow. That's awesome. Like people literally were following me since day one because I launched on that holiday. Wow. That's very cool. Yeah. So comms calendar and you can be creative. Like there's really obscure events and holidays happening all the time. So, <laughs> uh, um, so yeah. Um, so that's the second thing. The th- and for that step, just to clarify, then are you reaching out like weeks before or just days before that th- these special days? Uh, yeah. I mean, so much planning goes into each of these things. Um, I would say um, it's probably, I mean, for me, because I just always go overboard, it's probably two months worth of planning. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but that shouldn't scare you because I always go overboard because it's like, Mm -hmm. but there are ways you can kind of cut corners, like doing a press release the day 
be before a big holiday and attaching mm-hmm. your show to that holiday like that's an easy way to like maybe mm. get stuff but oh so even a day before isn't too late is there yeah. a, is there anything that's just too early like is it too early to reach out like a month before or it depends like usually no but sometimes like let's say it's a magazine which those are like barely in existence now mm. but they 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 do a lot of planning months before um and i i would say even a big newspaper like i live in san francisco if i was pitching the san francisco chronicle which i still haven't gotten in yet that's like still my number one thing but i would pitch them a month before because usually a lot of their feature stories which is kind of what i'm hoping to eventually get on it, it takes longer. So like profiles t- take longer. Um, but yeah, I, w- I, w- I would say no more than a month. Usually two weeks is a good sweet spot. Got it. That makes sense. It is, I guess it sort of depends what medium and what format you're targeting. Yeah. And honestly, there's no harm in reaching out and saying like, hey, I know it's a ways away, but I just wanted to make sure this was on your radar. I'm going to be sending you more information as we get closer. Sometimes doing it ahead of time does work in your favor because then when you actually pitch them, they'll be 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 like, "Oh, I already know that person." Mm-hmm. By the way, this is pure gold because um, just to let the audience know a little bit, I've co-founded a startup before where we spent, I want to say $10,000 per month to hire a PR person just to do this work. So having the playbook to do it yourself, it's it's a huge savings. So I love how you're kind of diving into the DIY world of how to get PR. So I think you're on step three. Yes. So step three is, so now that you've got your, like some media list, it doesn't have to be like everyone, but you have your media list, you have your calendar. Now it's, it's, it's time to start introducing yourself very casually to your top, let's say 10 journalists that you kind of just wanted to target and literally just like do an intro e- e- email and say like, Hey, I see you cover X, Y, Z. My name's Maya. This is my show. This is, you know, like kind of to do your spiel. I just want to introduce myself. Like really, you know, I would love to kind of hear about what, you know, what projects you're working on in the f- future and tell you a little bit about my show and and just have it be like super like Hmm. an intro like here's who I am and you know like those are always nice I mean the landscape of journalism has changed a little bit since I was in PR and that there are less journalists so that means they have a lot more on their plate so not all of them are going to respond or you know and indulge you in a a phone call But I think it's just good to start relationships without having an ask because then that kind of builds, it builds that connection without having it be like, here's what I want from you. Mm -hmm. So I would say like 
building relationships with journalists is is always a good idea. Yeah, that's such great advice because, yeah, I've heard that before, build a relationship with the journalist. But I love how you take it one step further and you're asking them what they're working on. Because then, yeah. you know, it could just be coincidental that whatever they're working on, they need a source or they need a soundbite from someone yeah. that could be exactly you. So that's great. That's awesome advice. Yes. Um, and then the fourth step is probably the hardest step. It's it's actually making a pitch <laughs> that a journalist will actually read. And so there is a formula that I have, and it's really around three questions. Why is this important? What are you doing? And how are you doing it? And like, like, how does this story fit into the why? So like for Proud Stutter, I'm doing this because we still hear jokes around stuttering all the time in media and people just don't understand stuttering. And that's why I'm doing a podcast about stuttering and here's how we're making an impact. So that's just the simplest way to explain it. Right. Like your three bullet point pitch. Yeah. That's cool. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you don't even have to tailor it too much to the, to the outlet. Yeah. So you do have to tailor it to the journalists and the outlet, but having a template that you can pull from. Yeah. It's just going to make your life so much easier. Like I have a template and every time I know I want to pitch a journalist, I always spend like two, like a few minutes just reading some of their articles and then like just coming up with like, you know, I saw you wrote on this last month. Here's a different spin on it. Are you interested? Something like that. Mm, got it. And is this also the time and the step where, you know, we, we hear about media kits and stuff like that. Does that go with the pitch or is that another step? Yeah. So that's not in my five steps because media kits, you don't really, I don't know. I, I have one, but like, there's a million steps out there, but sure. like, I don't think media kits are like the most important thing to have. Right. No, I actually agree with you because like just pitching from a personal level when you're thinking about the other person if they're getting kind of this personal email that's very easy to digest because i've gotten media kits before and i hate looking through them yeah because <laughs> they're usually kind of lengthy and you know a little pitchy so you in your steps you don't do a media kit so you just send this sort of a concise email and yeah and then i do have a link to like media stuff on my website so like sure. let's say someone's like I need a headshot. I just send them the the links. So it's really about making it easier for the, the journalist to have everything in one spot. Right, right. Uh, after they already after. kind of agree. Yeah. <laughs> right? okay. Yeah. okay, great. So that was step four, right? Or was that step three? Four. Four, okay. So step five, I would say is the most important and mm. that's following up. Um, I know a lot of people, it's not natural to like follow up, you know, like you're expecting like them to respond, but like, no, like I've gotten my most, my best articles because I keep following up. I keep saying like, here's a different angle. Here's an update on my end. And like, after like, this is why follow-up is so important 
porn. I'll give you an example. After a year and a half of following up with KQEDs art in the culture, that was my dream. Like, and after a year and a half, finally got her to do it. And I just kept feeding her stuff like, oh, how about this? Because really what earned media is all about is helping the journalist pitch the story to their boss, right? So you want to equip them with all the juicy stuff, with all the stuff that they need for a story. So are you helping them with the story they already have in mind, or are you sort of incepting that story into their brain? So sometimes it's like a new story and they're like, I really want to write it. I'm just missing something. And so like they, they might be interested, but it's like they haven't gotten the okay yet from their their boss. So I just mm. literally kept sending her stuff like, oh, how about this? How about that? And then finally I sent her something where she was like, okay, I got I got my boss to agree. So it's like Tell us a little bit more detail about that one then. What what yeah. was the eventual thing that got her? So I had so a lot of things came together, but I had originally just reached out to cake at QED, just telling them about my show. I tried pitching them around all the holidays that I had. And then there were two other women who stutter that are also artists. And I was like, wait, what if we pitched her like the three of us, like women who stutter doing all these cool (laughs) things. One was a comedian, one was a filmmaker and podcaster and they were like, oh my God, this is great. And then we sent it to her and she's like, oh, we're so close. Like, but sorry, like I'm working on other stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then I've, we've, I've pitched her. Okay. We have this local resolution that we're working on in San Francisco. It's going to be the first city in California to recognize stuttering awareness week. And that's what's got her. That's so. Yeah, we were able to like really focus it on something specific that's like newsworthy and also like human stories with these three mm-hmm. women. So to get something like an MPR affiliate like KQED, you kind of have to really help them with the story. And sometimes they'll do it on their own. Sure. But like the more, the more like, yeah, I don't know. You just have to really, if you really want a story bad enough, you just have to go before it over and over yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. It's like it's giving them another sort of reporter resource sort of for free, I guess. And everybody benefits. So that's a really cool story because um, even the final pitch, you didn't drop the other parts of the story altogether. You just keep adding to it. How long did this whole process kind of take? Like how many weeks of badgering and following up? And- yeah. So I had initially reached out to QED on launch day. And then, and then I think I pitched the arts and culture maybe like five months before. And so, yeah, because a lot of the times it's the right timing because journalists mm-hmm. are, are working on a lot of stuff and sometimes it's all about the timing she just so, so happened to like have a spot in her schedule where she could work on this, especially because we gave her so, something more to tangible for her to, to work with. It just timing wise, it worked out. Too. I see. So from the, from the time of the first contact to the time 
it got green lit. It's about five months. Yeah. But then there was another story where I pitched on the day of my launch and I ended up, no, it was actually before I had pitched them, I think two weeks before my launch and I got them to publish on the launch day. Oh, okay. So it's like, (laughs) it's, there isn't really like a perfect formula. You just have to, the more knowledgeable you are about how journalists work the the more you you can kind of strategize and work backwards and yeah you're right no one really knows but it's good to have all these irons in the fire because you just never know when when one of them are going to hit and like you you never know everything yeah and how big of an impact does this make on your i think you said you do look at your download numbers pretty closely I mean, I do look at them every day. I didn't really get a huge spike after that QED story came out. But what I did get was like 30 emails right, saying they listened to me. They have a stutter too. So it's the emails and the people reaching out on social media. And that's how I measure success is like, who's discovering me? who's sending me notes about like how this changed their life or like, I'm a mom. I have a son who stutters. Thank you so much. Like I wish my mom would have had something like this when (laughs) I was young. Cause yeah. So, so yeah, that's really how I, um, how I look at success is through the emails I get. Yeah. And I, I would say that the, the most spike I ever got was appearing on Apple podcasts out on their home page. After that, I consistently have seen a lot more traction. Mm. So right now, my and this might not be good. I don't know, but I will be very transparent here. So I have 30, almost 33,000 downloads. Um, I'm averaging 788 downloads and I have 518 weekly downloads. Da- da- downloads average. So I've never been that transparent before about my, and I I don't even know, like a lot of people don't even know. So there, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. No, I I love the transparency. And when you said 700 downloads, that's per month, right? 700 something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I wait, 788 average downloads across my, all my episodes. Oh, across all your episodes per, uh, per month. Them. yeah i think so yeah okay no that's really good um one of the places i and shout out to buzzcast they have this great uh sort of dashboard the global stats dashboard i think it's buzz buzzsprout.com backslash global stats you could kind of compare like is 700 or uh, a month really good and uh, let me tell you it is really good okay. <laughs> i think it's like top <laughs> my guess it's like top 10 percent of podcasts because yeah, a lot most people are getting about 100 i think a month okay so that's awesome so tell us about that apple's new and noteworthy a little bit how did you get on there i think a lot something everyone dreams of they don't really know how to crack <laughs> that code honestly i don't have the best advice all i can say is i pitch them twice. And on my second pitch, I got it. So the first pitch, I think I pitched them around a stuttering holiday or something. Like I said, like, I would love if, if you can, 
you know, have me on your page for national starting awareness week or something. And then the second time I pitched them, I spent a lot more time on the pitch and I ended up pitching them around the new season. So I Mm -hmm. did season two. And so that's what got it. It it literally, (laughs) there's like one form that you fill out and I just did it and it got on. And so, but I think a lot of it has to do because a few weeks before that happened, I was on the guardians top five podcasts of the week. So maybe that helped seeing me on another credible podcast list. So I don't know what their code Mm. is, but I think it's a mix of like credibility Mm -hmm. and also like just timing. And honestly, like my season one was not the best audio, like sound wise. So Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to have like the best sounding podcast to be on Mm -hmm. the front page. Like I really don't. And I mean, even this is pretty interesting. I want to, you said a couple things here that I want to unpack a little bit. You said the Guardian's uh, top five list, right? How yeah. did you first get on that? I don't know. I never pitched them. Yeah. So some, some, sometimes people just, uh, you know what? I did follow a few of the podcast editors on Twitter. So that, mm. that's another thing you can, can do is just follow a bunch of journalists on a Twitter, maybe they'll follow you back. No, I mean, that's a good point. Even if you think about it psychologically, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the humans are putting together these lists, probably yeah. with the use help of algorithms. But if you're following them and you're sort of promoting that, you know, you've been covered by this outlet, you've been covered by that outlet. I'm sure it's like it kind of snowballs. I imagine, it does. Right? It and really does. Like, wow, Maya is like, you know, she's up and comer, and let's let, let's put her on the spotlight. Yeah. And I also was on NPR like a, like a few weeks before I was on the guardian. So who knows, maybe they heard me on NPR. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's cool. Um, so, I mean, even the thing that you said about Apple new and noteworthy, actually, I didn't even know you could pitch it. So I'm learning something new right now. How do you, is there, you said there's a form, is that on a website somewhere? I can, I can share the, the link with you. Cause I don't always know where to find it, but I have it saved. Okay, great. No, that's perfect. They'll give uh, the audience some place to go and I'll add that link to the show notes. So it's just a form that you just kind of yeah. tell them why you should be new, new and noteworthy. Yes. And I feel like I've heard this before that you only have one chance to be new and noteworthy, but you said you did it for season two. Was that normal or? Yeah. So I think, I think because it's new and it's noteworthy. So I think mine might've been under the noteworthy <laughs> okay. part, who knows? Um, and it was a new season, so I don't know, but yeah. So th- on the new and noteworthy list, it's a mix of new shows and also like noteworthy mm. shows. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And do you know if Spotify has a similar? Yes. Program? Spotify and Stitcher. Oh, they both have it. Yeah. And do they have a form as well? Yes. And I can send that to you too. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. We'll include all these forms on the show notes. And I should try this too. Yeah. But I love how you're constantly thinking about noteworthy because of your PR mind. Mm -hmm. And 
how long did it take for you to fill out this form? You said the second time around, you were a lot more calculated. I would say 45 minutes. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah. it's a pretty substantial form or you just took a long time crafting? Yeah, I just kept going back to, to it. I'd like do it and then I go back to, to it the, the next day because how I work is I need to have like a night, like a, a day to kind of like look at it with fresh eyes. So I think that's why it took me so long. Hmm. And what is the process after they accept it? Do they tell you or does it just no, show up? I literally like a month later or two months even, I just got it. Like they didn't even tell me, honestly, like a friend texted me and said, Hey, you're on the, this. I'm like, Oh, like they're so mysterious. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. But then you did look at your numbers and there was a spike because of it. Oh yeah. That was like my biggest spike, even mm -hmm. being on NPR, like the being on Apple's thing was by far the biggest spike I had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And have you, I take it you have tried this with Spotify and Stitcher too? Yeah. I don't know. They, they don't, I've only tried twice with Spotify and once okay. with Stitcher, but yeah, I don't know. Like this year has been very different for me because I don't have as much time. I'm wedding planning right now. Mm -hmm. So I just don't have a lot of time to do PR and P PR does take a lot of time. And so, yeah. What's the most time consuming part of PR if people are thinking about doing it right now? I think it's mostly just like the strategizing, like the executing, you kind of just execute, but it's all the planning before like, okay, here's the month I want to, to target. Here's all the the steps I need to do ahead of that to like make it successful. So it's just a lot of like strategizing, really thinking, like, like literally putting your head and like being like, okay, like I'm a, a journalist, like what do I need? And then like just planning around that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that's the, um, the hardest part. And it's just like, Last year, I had so much more time. So I was just like, every month I had a new pitch that I just wanted mm -hmm. to try. And like, and so I, I was just constantly pitching. Like, mm -hmm. that's really how, how, like literally what PR firms do is they just pitch. Like, that's literally, awesome. that was my job. And it's like, you can do it on your own. Like, honestly, mm -hmm. I was in P PR. We don't really do that much. <laughs> it's not worth the money, honestly. And I'm sure there's a lot of PR people that are going to hate me for saying that, but I'm just being real. Right, right. It is expensive. So maybe you could do it yourself. Do you use um, press releases at all? Or do you just yes. kind of, are they effective? I have had a lot of success with that. Um, but usually I send the press release and then I, I like pick like a, like 10 journalists where I do a follow-up on that and say like, oh. Hey, here's a press release. Here's why I think, you know, it'd be a great fit for you and your audience. So sometimes it's not enough to just send a press release. You have to kind of be, uh, you have to kind of say like, Hey, and give a little bit more context. I see. Um, so you're still, even though you do that formal press release, you're still running your five-step playbook and reaching out directly. Yeah. And sometimes I don't have time to do that follow-up, which is fine because there have been times where I just send a press release and then they do something with it. But yeah. 
you you're more successful the more targeted you are yeah that makes total sense and what press release uh service do you use i do myself um so i don't use a service i just um have a press release a template and i just send it via email oh interesting for some reason i always thought there was like some global <laughs> repository of press releases and... there's definitely paid pro <laughs> Graham's like PR Newswire. It's yeah. a paid service, but I'm not, I don't spend money on PR because I can do it myself for free. I see. I see. So journalists aren't like looking at these pools of press releases anyway. They are. They do. Um, I just, it's not worth the money for me. Sure. Yeah. So just to clarify, what is the best way or maybe there's not a best way. It's just like whatever way the reporter feels comfortable with. Do you email reporters or do you try to contact them through social media and the DMs or? I email. I just email. I don't know. I'm old school, I guess. Mm -hmm. I've I've tried Twitter and that hasn't really worked. Although a lot of the journalists do follow me. So if you can get journalists to follow you, that's that's a win. And this is why relationship building is so key because you could get to a point with a, a journalist where they actually give you your their cell phone and that's really um the best thing is if you can just call them wow they do yeah. that? <laughs> that's well wild. yeah w once you like get to that point right once you build a relationship and they're like maya is the person yeah for all my stories around x yeah Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, wow. There's so much to talk about, but I think we're running out of time. I wanted to get into, I know you produce another um, a podcast called Democracy Is for uh, your work. Maybe tell us yes. a little bit about that. What, what, what do you do for them? Yeah. So after I joined California Common Cause, like six months in, we decided as a team, we wanted to launch a podcast and it just ended up being that like I had experience in podcasting and we had a sound engineer on our team too. <laughs> nice. So he scores the podcast. Um, and then I do a lot of like the writing and editing, like we have researchers and, um, experts that kind of do the initial script. And then I kind of read th through and I'm like, Oh, like this is too wonky. This won't read well mm. in audio. So that's kind of my role. And we all kind of, plan out the each season together and what topics to cover so season one is out now and we're launching season two i believe soon i love that i love stories where i hear from podcasters where their personal passion project starts bleeding into their professional life do you feel a lot of the difference between producing proud stutter and democracy is Yes. Do you, is there things you enjoy more about the other? Or? It's really hard working on two podcasts, but yeah, it's very different because Proud Stutter, it's, it's very, it's interview based. So, and then democracy is, is narrative based. So we have mm -hmm. like, it's more narration and then we have interviews weaved in. So it's definitely a different way of looking at it. Thanks for dropping all that knowledge about PR. I think this is going to help a ton of people who 
have been thinking about PR, but just didn't know the right steps. And I know, and I'll let you give a plug, you're going to be talking about this again, right? Yeah. So um, I'm going to be doing a um, panel at Podcast Movement, which is in Las Vegas happening um, the week of May 6th. Um, And so on Friday of that week, um, I will be doing a session called PR, um, maximizing PR on a minimum budget with um, salad with a side of fries host, Jen Trepek. And I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, but it's going to be me and her. Yes, I know Jen. You'll have to say hi to her for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm also, I'm, I did a soft launch a few months ago. I do offer like a PR for podcasters service. Um, and it's oh. on my website and it's a sliding scale. So for people that can't afford like the big PR firms, I am offering that as a service. So I've, I've already had like a bunch of people tested out for free. So if the the paid option isn't something in your budget, we can kind of work out something that works for both of us. That is awesome. Sliding scale. That's super generous. Um, where, where do they send it? Is that on your website as well? Yeah. So I can send you the link. But yeah, it's on my website, proudsetter.com, and there should be a services button on the top of my home page. Oh, okay. That's cool. Uh, Yeah, and I'll have that link in the show notes. So we always end all our episodes with our final five questions, and these are just meant to be fast and fun. So question number one, do you collect listener emails? Yes. And how do you do it? What do you use? So in my Gmail, I have a folder and it's like fans and listeners folder. And I also have a testimonials folder. So if there's like a testimonial email, I'll just, I'll just have that in there too. Yeah, that's cool. And you mentioned this earlier and I wanted to point it out. It's awesome. I'm obviously like a huge fan of fan engagement, uh, you know, based around all of the stuff that I do. And I love that you took a survey of your listeners. I like a lot of podcasts, surprisingly, they don't do it. What, what, what did you use to do that survey? I used Google forms and I had an incentive. So there was a raffle and I gave away a t-shirt, I think, and a tote bag. That's cool. Was it just like, was it a t-shirt of your show or something else? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was my merch. Awesome. That is a great playbook. Um, Another great growth hack. So question number two, do you promote each new episode? And if so, how? Yes, I was way better about doing it last year, but usually I, usually I have it on my website. Of course I do a newsletter blast. I do it on all my social media and yeah, that's pretty much how I do it. If if I had more time, I would also just share it with like certain folks that are kind of like newsletters. So like, let's say I do an episode, we cover stuttering and let's say dr- drug abuse. 
then I'd like see if there's like newsletters that kind of cover mm. dr- dr- drug abuse and see if we can put that episode in their newsletter. So that's, that's it. That's if I put my like PR hat on and I just <laughs> right. like go above and beyond. Right. Yeah. You're always, yeah. Thinking about PR. That's really cool. Question number three, how much time do you spend producing each episode? I would say seven hours, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's a um, good amount of time. Question number four, what's the favorite tool you use to produce or market your podcast? I love Squadcast. Squadcast. <laughs> Great tool. And for those who don't know, you use Squadcast to record your remote interviews. Is that what you're using it for? Yeah. Oh, great. And uh, what social media platform do you use the most? Probably Instagram and LinkedIn. Oh, okay, cool. Actually, most of my followers are on LinkedIn, which is really weird. <laughs> That's cool. That, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like LinkedIn is like the next uh, next platform everyone's hopping on. And the last question, what's your primary call to action at the end of each episode? Rate the show. And also I have a, a voicemail line where I encourage people to like send, you know, like share an audio clip of who they are and anything they'd like to share. That's cool. And is all that on proudstutter.com? The voicemail line is not, but each episode has all of that in the show notes. Cool. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed Maya, I really encourage you to check out Proud Stutter, the podcast, and the accompanying website, proudstutter.com. And go leave her a voicemail, check out the episodes, and subscribe. Well, there you have it. Thanks, Maya. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.